Hello and welcome back to the adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, the conflict between Lola Badiola and Mario Ruiz de Velasco was reaching its climax. In this episode, we are going to find out how the argument ends. Enjoy. The Adventures of Lola Badiola, Chapter 58 The Signature Before Lola and her team could reach the end of the corridor, Luis Brunia caught up with them and convinced them to return to the meeting. They followed him back to the conference room to find Ruiz de Belasco in a huddle with his two lawyers. JJ and his advisor were also exchanging words. Lola sat back down knowing that she now held the upper hand in the negotiation. She waited for Ruiz de Belasco to finish his consultation and speak. Before we go any further, he said, you need to turn our electricity back on. Have you decided to retain our services? replied Lola. It's an option that we are considering. Diego? Lola turned to the technology manager and indicated that this was his moment. He reached into his bag and pulled out the one-sheet document, which he slid across to Ruiz de Belasco. This is a contract with our standard terms and conditions, said Diego. As you are our first client, we're offering a 25% discount on our normal fee. Ruiz de Belasco passed it to one of his lawyers. Thank you. We will consider it and get back to you. Now turn the electricity back on. There's not much to consider. It's only one page long. Here, you can use my pen to sign it. Diego slid a biro across the shiny surface of the table. The two men stared at each other. Ruiz de Belasco was the first to blink. Are you telling me? Only if I sign this document are you going to turn our electricity back on. He was almost unable to get the words out of his mouth. Not at all? replied Diego. We're saying only if you sign this document can you benefit from the protection of our technology. This is blackmail, screamed the CEO through gritted teeth. Lola leaned forward. In some places it's called blackmail, in others it's called persuasion. Diego continued. It's just a one-year contract. We're not locking you into a long-term agreement. You're under no obligation to renew it. Lola added, But we will be issuing a press release stating that TechSpania will be using JBlock's cybersecurity technology for the next 12 months. Ruiz de Belasco looked around the room in a state of panic and fury. He turned to his two lawyers. Do something, you useless bastards! Once again, the two suits started quoting the laws that JBlock was breaking. Once again, Gonzalo responded to the accusations, knowing full well that they were right. The secretary from the 51st floor re-entered the office. She rushed over to the CEO to update him on all the major issues the power cut was causing around the building. Of greatest concern to her was the fact that the board of directors had been trapped in the lift for more than five minutes. One of them suffered from claustrophobia, and another was feeling nauseous. The chairman of the board was trying to contact him on his mobile at that very moment. Ruiz de Belasco snatched the contract from the table in front of him and scanned its contents. Then he passed it to Luis Brunia 
and instructed his subordinate to sign it. Brunya put on his reading glasses and started to carefully study the document that would bear his signature. "'Just sign the damn thing!' shouted the CEO. "'I need to read it first, sir. Oh, for Christ's sake, give it to me!' Ruiz de Belasco grabbed the document back from Brunya, pulled out a Mont Blanc fountain pen from the inside of his tailor-made suit, and scrawled his signature at the bottom of the paper. Then he slid the document back to Diego. "'Thank you,' said Diego, as he put the signed document back into his leather bag. "'Just one last thing,' said Lola. "'I myself will be your account manager.' "'Wonderful,' replied the CEO, transmitting his sarcasm and impatience in equal measure. "'Therefore it wouldn't be right if you were suing me for a 150 million euros, would it?' Gonzalo knew that his moment had arrived. He took out the legal document that Lola had asked him to prepare. He passed it to the lawyers from Urdangarian Mendoza, who started to read through it. He explained to them in elaborate legal language that all current and pending lawsuits against Lola, relating to the recent breach of Texpania and its consequent drop in share price, needed to be immediately and permanently withdrawn. He said that everyone in the room knew that Ms. Badiola was innocent and the lawsuit represented a malicious and slanderous attack on her character. He then started to explain, in great detail, the individual clauses of the document that the lawyers had in front of them. Before they had time to finish reading or responding to it, Ruiz de Velasco grabbed the document from under their noses, signed it in the appropriate places, and then threw it back at Gonzalo. Now... Turn the electricity back on. Lola turned to Park, who was waiting for the signal, and nodded her head. He typed some code into the laptop, and all at once, the lights went on, the air conditioning restarted, and the coffee machine beeped three times. There was a moment of silence in the boardroom before J.J.'s legal counsel cleared his throat and spoke in a conclusive manner. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, it appears that there has been a material change in the circumstances and, hence, the value of J-Block. It is, therefore, appropriate to suspend our current negotiations. On behalf of J.J. Thompson and the other shareholders, I would like to thank you for your offer, but at this juncture I respectfully decline it. Ruiz de Velasco sat motionless in his chair, staring at Lola. His aura, which had blazed like a forest fire for the last fifteen minutes, cooling down to a steady green glow. One of the character traits of a great leader is the ability to move on, to understand that these moments of victory and defeat are merely signposts on the road of success. The CEO was, once again, the embodiment of elegant composure. "'Your father did everything by the book?' Lola, he said, with eerie calmness. He was a straight shooter, known throughout Spain and South America as someone who did things right. What would he think of his one and only daughter? Would he be proud of her? Lola stared back at Ruiz de Belasco, not losing eye contact for a second. She slowly reached for her glass of water her hands steady and strong, and took a small sip. "'I am not my father,' 
she replied. There was silence in the boardroom. And then Ruiz de Belasco slowly rose to his feet and buttoned up his jacket. It was the signal that the meeting was over. Everyone else stood up in unison. It's going to be an interesting business relationship, Miss Badiola, he said, unemotionally. He turned to his lawyers and told them to wrap up the meeting and join him in his office with the board of directors. Then he walked quickly out of the conference room. Lola immediately turned to JJ. He had been quiet throughout the meeting. She wondered what he was thinking. She needed his validation. I brought you J Block's first client, she said. I recruited Pluto as a programmer and I'm free of all my legal distractions. Now let's fulfill our mission and make the digital world a safer place. JJ had a one-word reply, or perhaps it was two words combined into one. Un-fucking-believable. All five members of the J-Block team burst into laughter at the communal release of tension. They shook hands, kissed and hugged each other, and then made their way to the exit of the conference room. Waiting for them at the door were the two lawyers from Urdangari and Mendoza. You know these contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on, said one of them. Gonzalo had anticipated the argument and stepped forward. You might think these contracts are worthless. You might say that we coerced you into signing them. You might be tempted to break them. Here's what will happen next. You will find yourself in court explaining how a relatively unknown company called J-Block was able to hack into your systems, temporarily shut down your headquarters, and convince your CEO to sign a contract. Think about how this will appear to the outside world only two months after the press conference in which you explained in great detail all the improvements you were making to your cybersecurity systems. Just think about what that would do to your share price. Without another word, Lola opened the door and led the team along the corridor, past the oil paintings and the panoramic views of Madrid, to the 51st floor reception. The elevator arrived, and Lola allowed the four men to enter before she did. She patted each of them on the back as they walked inside. Then she pressed the button, and the doors closed. A song could be heard from the elevator as it descended past each floor of the Texpania headquarters, a song which was being sung with enthusiasm and delight, albeit slightly out of tune. Campiones, campiones, oe, oe, oe. Okay, we have reached a resolution to the conflict that has been developing since the very beginning of the book. From the moment that Lola Badiola quit Texpania and made an enemy of Mario Ruiz de Velasco. We started the book on the 51st floor and we are ending the book on the 51st floor. There are, however, still a lot of loose ends to tie up, a lot of storylines still to consider. So we will have one more chapter to go after this one and then we will let you know the future plans for writing and publishing 
book two. But right now, let's do some business English. And let's start with this very advanced grammar point. Inversions. Have a listen to this paragraph again. Are you telling me only if I sign this document are you going to turn our electricity back on? He was almost unable to get the words out of his mouth. Not at all, replied Diego. We're saying only if you sign this document can you benefit from the protection of our technology. There are two inversions in this paragraph. An inversion is where we switch the order of the subject and the verb. We invert it. Now, we use inversions in several different situations in English. I'm sure you are very familiar with the inversions that we use in interrogatives. So if we have a sentence, he is here in the affirmative, and we want to turn that into an interrogative, then we do an inversion. We switch the order of the subject and the verb. Is he here? Now, there are other less common situations where we use these inversions. For example, we can use the grammar structure with adverbs. So on the one hand, you can say, he is rarely at the office. On the other hand, you can use the inverted form and say, rarely is he at the office. Similarly, instead of saying, I am never late, you can say, never am I late. In each case, we put the adverb at the beginning of the sentence and then we invert the subject and the verb order. And the purpose of the inversion in this case is to give more emphasis to what you are saying or what you are writing. And in these two previous examples, we are emphasizing the adverbs, rarely and never. This inversion also, also happens with phrases starting with only. Only if. Only when. Only after. So in this chapter, we have the following sentences. Ruiz de Velasco says, Are you telling me only if I sign this document, are you going to turn our electricity back on? And Diego replies, only if you sign this document, can you benefit from the protection of our technology? Are you going to? Can you benefit? That is an inversion. Now, these inversions are not that common, certainly clearly not as common as the inversions that appear in interrogatives. But as advanced speakers, you may have seen this in formal documents, in reports, in newspaper articles, and wondered why. Why are they inverting? Why are they changing the order of the subject and the verb? And this is the explanation why. With adverbs and with certain expressions like only if, only after, we can invert the grammatical structure. Okay, let's move on to a second advanced grammar point. In the previous episode, we reviewed the rules of question tags. And here is another example. Listen carefully. 
Therefore, it wouldn't be right if you were suing me for 150 million euros, would it? There are various ways that you could ask this question. So Lola could say, would it be right for you to sue me? So this is like an open-minded question, one in which you are not sure what the answer is going to be. She could also say, it wouldn't be right to sue me, right? Now, this is an informal way of using the question tag. And here, Lola is implying that it's not right for her to be sued. And with the question tag at the end, she is simply seeking confirmation of the fact. But in this case, in our story, in the dialogue, she actually actually uses the formal and more complex question tag. It wouldn't be right for you to sue me, would it? If you need to review this grammar point, just go back to episode 53, where we discuss it in more detail. Okay, now let's move on to some important vocabulary. Here we go. Just one last thing, said Lola. I myself will be your account manager. Wonderful, replied the CEO, transmitting his sarcasm and impatience in equal measure. In a previous episode, we discussed the meaning of irony. It's an implicit form of communication where you say the opposite of what you mean in order to emphasize your point. So let's say a client decides to cancel an important meeting at the last moment yet again. You might say something like, wonderful, or fabulous. You are saying the opposite of what you mean to emphasize your frustrations. So how does irony turn into sarcasm? Well, the point about sarcasm is it has a condescending tone. It is intended to embarrass or even potentially insult the person who it's directed to. There's a negativity in sarcasm. So if I drop my keys, my sarcastic colleague might say to me, well done, Michael Jordan. Or if I forget the name of one of my clients, my sarcastic colleague might call me the world memory champion. That's sarcasm. It can be clever, it can be funny, but its intention may not be kind. Okay, let's move on to a couple of interesting words. Listen to this sentence again. He explained to them in elaborate legal language that all current and pending lawsuits against Lola relating to the recent breach of Texpania and its consequent drop in share price needed to be immediately and permanently withdrawn. He said that everyone in the room knew that Ms. Badiola was innocent and the lawsuit represented a malicious and slanderous attack on her character. Someone who is malicious enjoys hurting or embarrassing others. Malicious is the adjective based on the noun malice, which means a desire to harm others. And both words have a Latin origin in the form of malice for bad. So if somebody is malicious, 
that person causes you pain and actually derives pleasure from causing you pain or from hurting others. Another interesting word in this paragraph is slander. What exactly is slander? Well, if your colleague spreads false rumours that you have been stealing food from the company canteen, that is slander. Slander is the act of saying, verbally, an untrue statement about somebody that will damage them. And in legal situations, the word slander is applied to spoken communication and the word libel is applied to written statements about someone or something. Okay, let's move on to this expression here. Lola sat back down knowing that she now held the upper hand in the negotiation. She waited for Ruiz de Belasco to finish his consultation and speak. If you have the upper hand, you have more power than anyone else. You have control. Now, to have the upper hand, this expression derives from the interaction between two lovers, two friends, a husband or wife, when they hold hands as they walk down the street. One of them will have their hand above the others, facing downwards. That's the upper hand. That is the dominant position. It's also apparent in the way that some people shake your hand when they meet you. Have you ever noticed how certain people, particularly alpha males, grip your hand really hard when they shake your hand. And then some of them twist your wrist slightly so their hand is pointing downwards and is above your hand, which is pointing upwards. They are trying to be dominant. They are trying to make you submit to them. So they want to have the upper hand even before the conversation or the negotiation has started. Just watch any meeting that Donald Trump has with another foreign leader. Not only does he put his hand in this dominant position, he also pulls very hard towards him so the other person is immediately off balance. It's a classic and very transparent power move by an alpha male. The perfect handshake is much more balanced. Both people have their hands perpendicular to the floor. The grip is firm, but not uncomfortable. Okay, here's the next expression. Diego slid a biro across the shiny surface of the table. The two men stared at each other. Ruiz de Velasco was the first to blink. The expression, the first to blink, derives from a kid's game that you may have played in the playground of your primary school. It is essentially a staring contest. I look into your eyes, you look into my eyes, and we have to keep our eyes open without blinking, i.e. without closing and opening our eyes very quickly. And the first person to blink loses. 
Now, in an adult context, it sometimes refers to tense confrontation between rivals. And it can be applied to business situations or even military situations. My father-in-law had a book in his study entitled The Other Guy Blinked First. How Pepsi Won the Cola Wars. And this was a book written in the 1980s when Pepsi's market share was growing and Coca-Cola was losing out. So the managers and the executives at Coca-Cola decided to do something radical and new. They decided to introduce new Coke. They changed the flavor of their beloved drink. And in doing so, they angered most of their previously loyal customers and ended up losing even more market share. Coca-Cola was the first to blink. They lost the battle against Pepsi in the 1980s. But as we know, they didn't lose the war. Okay, here are two more interesting expressions. Listen carefully. The CEO was, once again, the embodiment of elegant composure. Your father did everything by the book, Lola, he said, with eerie calmness. He was a straight shooter, known throughout Spain and South America as someone who did things right. What would he think of his one and only daughter? Would he be proud of her? To do everything by the book is quite self-explanatory. It means that you operate in strict accordance with the rules and the regulations. And its origin relates to swearing an oath on the Christian Bible in court. To speak by the book was to swear that you would tell the truth. Now, related to this expression is the word straight shooter. This is an informal description of somebody who speaks in an honest and direct way, like the straight path of a bullet shot from a gun. Salvador Badiola was a straight shooter. He did everything by the book. We have discussed his moral philosophy in a previous episode. He believes that there are certain principles, certain moral codes that should never be broken, no matter how positive the ultimate consequences may be. And Mario Ruiz de Velasco is asking Lola the question, what would your father think of you now? Would he be proud of you? How does Lola respond? Listen to this again. Lola stared back at Ruiz de Belasco, not losing eye contact for a second. She slowly reached for her glass of water, her hands steady and strong, and took a small sip. I am not my father, she replied. This is clearly a key moment in Lola's journey, in her evolution. She's stepping out of the shadow of her father, she is going to solve her problems 
and build her career in the way that she feels right. And she believes that the end justifies the means. The rules and the principles can be broken if the conclusion, if the outcome is net positive. Okay, here's the next expression. They shook hands, kissed and hugged each other, and then made their way to the exit of the conference room. Waiting for them at the door were the two lawyers from Urdangari and Mendoza. You know these contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on, said one of them. Gonzalo had anticipated the argument and stepped forward. Something that is not worth the paper it's written on means that an agreement, a promise, a contract is worthless. It cannot be enforced. The first use of this expression was concerning the recognition of Italy as a nation-state. One of the opposing politicians wrote that the guarantees are not worth the paper they are written on. You'll hear native speakers use this expression with disdain in legal or business disputes. Okay, let's move on. We spoke a little bit about body language in a previous episode. Let's continue that theme here. The elevator arrived, and Lola allowed the four men to enter before she did. She patted each of them on the back as they walked inside. Then she pressed the button, and the doors closed. If you allow somebody to enter a room or walk in front of you, it is considered to be a power move. Once again, it is a manifestation of a dominant position within the relationship. For example, in a family, the mother or father will walk behind the children. In the animal kingdom, the alpha male always walks behind the pack, ensuring that everyone moves through the jungle safely. There are some really interesting and humorous meetings between world leaders where they shake hands and then they enter a door behind them and neither one of them wants to go through the door first. Why? Because they don't want to appear to be the weaker partner. And sometimes this dance can last several seconds. Look it up on YouTube. It can be very amusing. So, in our story, we witness this evolution that is happening in Lola Badiola's character, her personality, and her career, as she allows the three men into the elevator before her, demonstrating her dominant position within this tribe. Okay, finally, let's listen to the very end of the chapter again. Here we go. A song could be heard from the elevator as it descended past each floor of the Texpania headquarters, a song which was being sung with enthusiasm and delight, albeit slightly out of tune. Campiones, campiones, oe, oe, oe. I always love stories that end with people earning their success and celebrating. I'm a sentimentalist and I love stories with a happy ending. I don't want to go to the cinema or read a book and be depressed about the tragic state of the human condition. 
I want to go to the cinema and read a book and end up with a smile on my face and a warm sensation in my heart. And that is why the heroes of our story can be heard singing this classic celebratory song as they descend the elevator and exit the territory of their enemy and nemesis, Mario Ruiz de Velasco. That doesn't mean that this story will end happily ever after for everyone. We still have one more chapter to go. And after that, we have two more books to write. And there is no guarantee that things will work out well for Lola and the gang in the long run. You'll just have to wait and see. And on that mysterious note, we come to the end of today's session. The penultimate of this book. If you would like to continue to improve your English in a more formal manner, please join Marina and me at Club Grattan for live and interactive business English classes. You have come so far, so I am sure that you will be joining us for the very final chapter of this adventure. Until then, keep bringing English into your life. And remember, if you want to appear dominant, always be the last person into the elevator. <laughs>